Uh, we are going to open our Bibles now. Uh, as Devet mentioned earlier, we're continuing our Advent series through the book of Isaiah. This morning we're looking at Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9. And I'll invite Jackie up. She's going to be reading for us. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not stuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who brings breath to its people and life to those who walk on it, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I think I've gone too far. No, sorry. I will take hold of your hand and I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, so all my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare before they spring into you spring into being. I announce them to you. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. Please um, keep your Bibles handy. We're going to work our way through those verses this morning together uh, and it will be helpful if you can follow along as we do that. Uh, You hopefully will have gotten an outline at the door as you came in. If not, there should be still some left there and you can use that to take notes uh, or to follow along with as well. Thank you. Santa's little helper. (laughs) Uh, It's hard to believe but it's now 11 years ago since I graduated from my Bachelor of Environmental Science uh, at UTAS. I know I look very young so you wouldn't have ever guessed that. Uh, But I remember the day clearly. I remember feeling very relieved, uh, happy at what I'd done, maybe even just a small sense of accomplishment. I I can't say I enjoyed the degree a lot, but it felt nice to finish it. Uh, About a month later, I was still enjoying my holidays, as every good uni student does. Uh, Results had come in. They were okay, not great, but good enough. And one day in the mail, a letter turned up, and it was a fancy-looking letter. It was bright colours, heavy paper, fancy calligraphy all over it. It looked pretty cool. And when I opened it up, it was a letter from an organisation called Golden Key. Now, I'd never heard of them. No idea what they were about. But as I read the letter, uh, it became clear what they were promising sounded pretty good. They were promising to me, Julian Dykeman from Launceston, uh, membership in their organisation, in their large and exclusive international organisation. They promised networking, they promised career advancement and all these benefits. I had been selected because of my allegedly superior marks to be part of this organisation. 
Uh, the longer you were with it, the better advantages you got from it and all you had to do was pay the small sum of $100 to join. That was it. I mean, I was flattered. <laughs> What's an international organisation got to do with me? I mean, my marks were passable but they weren't brilliant. And there you go, Inv- invitation to this huge organisation. Uh, look, I was excited, I'll be honest. I was, I was thrilled, I was honoured. Until I told my friends... And it turned out we all got invited. (laughs) Every single one of us, exactly the same letter, uh, all invited to this allegedly exclusive organisation. It turns out none of us were really that special. We probably knew that. But see, we we get excited about things like that, don't we? We get excited about those opportunities because it strikes at the heart of something that we really want. We really want to be included. We really want to have that advantage, to be one step ahead of everyone else. We want to feel like we belong. We want to feel like someone thinks we're special. We want those things. We want to be part of something. The the feeling that we are part of something is precious to us. And the feeling, the opposite feeling, the feeling of exclusion, hurts badly. It's a terrible feeling. Well, what Isaiah is telling us in the passage that Jackie just read for us is that in the coming of God's servant, who we know as Jesus, God is extending to us an offer and an opportunity. He is offering us the chance to become part of something truly special, something truly international, something with wonderful blessings and wonderful benefits. It's not a hoax. It is offered broadly but it is no less exclusive for that. And what we're going to see this morning as we work through this passage is just how good that is and how wonderful it is to be a part of it. Uh, When we get to this point in Isaiah, still the time when Isaiah is in is a difficult time for his people, even more difficult than it was in the earlier chapters of the book. People around him are despairing, they are hurting, they are lost. Uh, They're living without a tangible hope. But now, Isaiah's prophecy to them offers hope because he announces in these verses again, God is going to act on the behalf of his people. God is going to come and he's going to do something and he's going to do it through a person. Through Isaiah 40 through 53, we see these stories of a person who's coming, a person who's known as the servant. Look at verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Now Isaiah never saw uh, who this servant was. He didn't arrive in his lifetime. It was hundreds of years afterwards. He only knew that he would come. But we have an advantage over Isaiah because we know who this is. We see what he didn't. We see that Jesus is God's servant, God's agent who fulfills this role that Isaiah spoke of. Uh, If we wanted that confirmed for us, all we need to do is look at Jesus' baptism where God essentially quotes these words uh, as Jesus is baptised. He says there, This is my son whom I love, which almost exactly parallels the, the first line in Isaiah 42, in whom my soul delights. And even more so, just to confirm it further, at his baptism, we see the Spirit coming down on Jesus, just as is promised here, I will put my Spirit on him. We're being told by Matthew, by Luke, those who recorded Jesus' baptism, that Jesus is this servant. 
Jesus is this promised one of God. That's good to know. But what's he going to do? How is he going to operate? What is he going to achieve? Well, look at verse 2. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. It's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? Uh, remember that the servant is not only a servant, he is a king. He's God's servant, but he's also the king of the world. You'd expect, you know, great fanfare. You might expect a parade, maybe even grander than the one we saw yesterday. Uh, you might expect loud announcements and fame. You might expect all these wonderful things when the king comes to town, but that's not what we get, is it? No, this, this king, this servant, is going to come quietly. His coming to this earth is going to be subtle. It's going to be really low key. And on top of that, look at who he's coming for. Look at verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. See, the servant hasn't come for the strong, the able. He's not to come to you know, put together the dream team of the, the powerful and the influential in the world. Not at all. Instead, he's come for bruised reeds, smouldering wicks. He's come for the hurt. He's come for the hurting. He's come for the burnt out, the wounded, the needy. Uh, in fact, Matthew quotes these exact verses in Matthew chapter 18 at a time when Jesus was surrounded entirely by those needing healing and those needing help. He's saying this is who Jesus is. Although he's the king, although he is God's appointed servant, this is who he's come for. Despite who he is, Jesus' ways and Jesus' means are totally unexpected. They're nothing like what we might have anticipated. Uh, between semesters, while I was studying, uh, I picked up a casual job at a vineyard up in Piper's Brook uh, as a pruner. Uh, if you ever want a mind-numbingly repetitive job, that is the job for you. Uh, it's a simple job, even a uni student can do it. Uh, it is cut. That's pretty much it. Uh, there's different varieties, different treatments, but the basic premise is the same. Cut the weak stuff, leave the good stuff and you're done. It's that simple. Select the strong, cut away the weak. That's how I understand pruning. And it's kind of the pattern of the world, isn't it? Preserve the strong, build up the strong, put aside the weak, push them away, cut them off. Uh, every school lunchtime, when, when sports played, there's the same pattern repeats, doesn't it? The, the, the best are chosen, everyone else is kind of leftovers. We see it in job applications. Everyone puts all this effort into their resume. The best resumes are chosen and everything else is kind of slid into the, the, the bin at the end. Uh, I read the other day the pressure is so high that up to 85% of resumes are deliberately lied on because the competition's there. We want to be strong. We need to be strong to succeed in this world. Or so we think. Because that's not how Jesus works. That's not how God's servant operates and the kingdom he has come to bring is not like this world at all. His work is to come to those who need him most. His work is to come to the weak and to the suffering, to the hurting, to the sinner. I mean, just, just stop and think about it. It's a remarkable thing we're being told here, isn't it? That's incredible. It's even more remarkable when we, re we realise that this is who we are. 
When we're really honest with ourselves, we could admit it, can't we? We're actually the weak. <laughs> we're the suffering. We're the hurting. We're the sinner. I mean, we, we don't like to admit it and we live in a world which teaches us not to admit it publicly. Uh, we live in a culture where sharing our weaknesses is, is almost taboo. You, you just don't do it. We're told we should be strong and capable and in control. That's, that's how we ought to portray ourselves. But in our heart of hearts, we know that's not who we are, don't we? At least not all the time, <laughs> maybe even not most of the time. We know our struggles, we know our fears and our doubts, we know our worries, our anxieties, we know our weariness and our aimlessness. We'll know this too. That is exactly the sort of person that Jesus has come for. A person like you and a person like me. See, there's no sign on his door. You know, come back when you've got your, 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 your things together. There's no, you know, fix yourself up first and then come and join me. It is come as you are, all are welcome, because he won't break the bruised. He won't snuff out the faltering. He comes with gentleness and grace to the needy and to the hurt. And to them he makes a wonderful promise here. I don't know if you saw it there in verse 4. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. It might seem a bit strange. Uh, when you're weak, when you're hurting, perhaps law and justice are not the things you think of for comfort. You're probably not alone in that. <laughs> but ex- actually, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, imagine a place like Syria at the moment. Imagine what good law and good justice would do there to improve the lots of people. And it's not just there, of course, isn't it? Because we're talking about God's justice, God's law here. This is a good thing that's been promised. We're not being told that Jesus has come to bring you know, an extra pile of rules and, and judgments because what's at the heart of God's justice, what's at the heart of his law is restoring things to rightness, to the way they should be, to operating properly and well and peacefully. What's at the heart of God's justice and law is actually the words of God himself. God's good words that proclaim what is true and good but not only that but actually what bring about what is true and good. They're words that cut through lies, that that, that cut down falsehood, that bring truth, that show God for who he really is and show the world for how it really is. And only a few chapters later in Isaiah we're told this of the servant as he comes to bring this law and justice. We read, He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. See, that is how Jesus brought God's words, ultimately. That is how Jesus made right by God's justice, ultimately, by himself being the one that suffered, by himself being the one bruised and battered and broken, by giving his own life up in order that by it he could fix what is at the root of ruining our own lives, our sin. He is the one who made right what is wrong in his own body. I am the way, the truth and the life, Jesus announced. 
If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, Jesus has come, the servant of God, to bring the living word to hurting people, to bring his word that brings truth and justice and healing and forgiveness. Uh, Peter said to him at one point, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And that's who Jesus is, the servant who brings us the word that brings life, the truth that heals, the justice, the rightness that ignites that smouldering wick. But the question then is, well, how do you know that's for you? And what's more, how do you know it for sure? Well, through Isaiah, God anticipates those questions and he answers them in the second half of this this passage. Uh, The first thing we need to see, the first answer that God gives is, remember who he is. (laughs) Look at verse 5. This is what God, the Lord, says, he who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. So remember who God is. This is who God is. He is God of the whole world. Uh, See how how he describes it. He made it. He, He stretched it out. He spread it into being. He put everything where it is. He sustains it day by day. He upholds it all. That's who God is. He's not a provincial God. He's, he's in truly global. He's, he's not in parts of the world at times and other parts at other times. He's there all over, all the time. God is a God of the whole world. His picture, his work that he's intending is a work for the whole world. But secondly, remember how he works. Look at verses 6 and 7. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Remember who God is. Remember how God works. God is not fickle. God's not changeable. He's not this one day and something else the next. No, God is constant. He is dependable and he is faithful. And what he's announcing here as he addresses his servant is that the way he has always related to his people via a covenant that is a relationship-making agreement is still in place. God had made that covenant with Israel uh, long before uh, Isaiah prophesied. He'd said, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people and you will get the full blessings from that relationship if you follow with me. Well, now what God is saying is that covenant's just grown a bit because his servant, Jesus, is a covenant agent and through him that covenant, that agreement, that relationship of grace and blessing is being extended far beyond Israel. It's being extended to the Gentiles, that is, everyone else, <laughs> the whole of the world. All, the, all of the, across the world, people can find now a relationship with God. See, what Jesus is announcing is that his time uh, is not a time of exclusion but a time of inclusion, a time of welcoming and gathering in. Uh, Remember back about 10 years, the global financial crisis, uh, maybe you remember that. Uh, You might remember that at the time, uh, Kevin Rudd, I believe, 
brought into uh, effect his economic stimulus package. Now, it had lots and lots of different bits and pieces, uh, but one of the parts of that stimulus package was that every taxpayer got a payment. Uh, do you remember a once-off payment? About a thousand bucks, enough to buy a smart TV, which apparently everyone did. Uh, but I remember, I remember being so excited by that because I was a student, I was poor, $1,000 was a lot of money, <laughs> that would last me perhaps a year. Uh, I could put that to good use until I realised I couldn't uh, because I wouldn't get it. Only taxpayers got it. <laughs> uh, I hadn't earned that much money that year, uh, not enough to lodge a tax return. I'd paid no tax and so ironically I was too poor to receive this economic stimulus package. So I watched as my friends got it, I watched as my rich tradie brother got it. <laughs> oh the injustice. And I got nada. Uh, I was excluded and I learnt being excluded sucks. And maybe that's how other nations felt about Israel up until this point. They look at God's people and they see they have a special relationship with their God. They see their God is powerful, he's done amazing things, he gives them amazing things and they are excluded. They can't be a part of that. They've got no way to be a part of that. Their God is awesome, they think, and we can't get in. Being excluded sucks. Until now. Because now what God is saying is that's not the case anymore. Now in Jesus, now in God's servant, God is saying, it's open to all. My covenant is open to you. Anyone can come in, anyone can be included. It is open all through my servant. And being in means being, uh, receiving all these great blessings that we saw there in verse 7. The blessings of light and life and hope. The blessings of truth in the place of the lie, in light in the place of darkness our eyes being opened, freedom being given and true transformation being granted. That is what God's covenant, that is what God's agreement, his relationship with his people is all about. It is about true hope, restoration, relationship and blessing. Not just the possibility of, but the sure promise of. That is what his covenant means. Now I know that's not a word we use very much. Um, we used to call marriage a covenant but it probably devalues the word compared to how the Bible talks about it because that covenant gets broken all the time. Um, we sometimes have covenants on land but again there's always a workaround for that. But that's not how covenant works in the Bible. That's certainly not how covenant works when God's involved because God wants us to see here he's not like us. Look at verses 8 and 9. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. See, God is saying, I'm not like anyone else. I'm not like any other man. I'm certainly not like any other God. I am the Lord. Now, you see that in capitals, you know that's God's name, Yahweh. He's saying, this is who I am and remember what I've done. That name means I'm powerful. You only have to look back into history and see everything I've done. That name means I'm faithful. I never go back on my word. I never lie. I am true forever. That name means I am sovereign, not a lifeless idol, 
but the true and living God who holds not only everything that is in his hand but everything that will be as well. That is who God is announcing he is. And the simple question we're faced with then is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you place your life and hope in him? Knowing who he is, knowing what he's done, will you rest on him? And if not him, then what? Because you're going to have to rest on something, aren't you? You might choose your own uh, goodness and, and moral uprightness. You might choose your job security or your financial nous. You might choose a good health record. You might choose family and friend networks, all of which are good things. Don't get me wrong. But you will only get out of them what you put in them. There is no real net gain there. There's no lasting gain. And there's no security either. Because all of those things will fail you, especially when you need them most and when you lean on them heaviest. Will you really depend on them for your life and hope and eternity? Because you could trust the one who loves you passionately. You could trust the one who meets you exactly as you are, who doesn't try and make you pretend to be something you're not. You could trust the one who gave his beloved son to be your servant, to come to you. You could trust the one who sent his son to die in your place. You could trust the one who is perfectly powerful and faithful, who's offering himself in relationship to you. You could trust the one who's done amazing things in the past, the one who holds the future, the one who can't lie and who even now offers to covenant himself to you and seal his promises. See, you can trust him and you can find in him perfect assurance and absolute confidence because he is the Lord, that is his name. And all we need to do is trust him and know that he is the one that offers to us life and healing through Jesus, his son, his servant. He has done it and he will do it for you. See, what we need to remind ourselves at Christmas is that the coming of Jesus, his birth into this world, is God fulfilling his word. It's promise fulfilled. God is doing exactly as he said he would. We can trust him because he lives up to his word. He has sent his servant, his beloved son Jesus, exactly as he said. He sent him to meet us in our weakness, to fill our needs, to include us in his people, to heal us from our sin and to lavish his blessings on us for eternity. He is for us. He is for you. Whether you are weak or strong, in him you can find the truth and life and hope that you need. Christmas said God has sent his word, has kept his word. He has sent his servant and hope and peace and a place in his people is ours. So trust his word and find in him all this and so much more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the midst of this changing and uncertain world and our changing and uncertain lives, we give you thanks that we find through it all you are trustworthy, you are dependable. 
Father, you have been true to your word for you have sent your son, your servant Jesus to heal us by his death who were wounded, to make right what is wrong and to mend broken sinners like ourselves. Father, you have shown us in him mercy where we didn't deserve it and we praise you for him. We give you thanks that in him we find a place in your eternal covenant. We know that by him we are yours forever and assured of your favour and love and blessing for all time. Father, we pray that you would give us confidence in him, you would overcome our doubts and feelings of unworthiness and instead help us to rejoice in the great grace that you have shown us in Jesus your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.